Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It happened when I was 14 years old, riding up the elevator to the top of the big oil derrick at Six Flags over Texas. That oil derrick was brand new at the time. It was just before 10 o'clock, the last ride of the night. Then about 20 feet from the top, everything came to a grinding halt. Took two hours to get us all out. By that time, of course, the media had assembled, so I got to be on TV, and I got a free pass. But for a lot of other people, those sorts of theme park mishaps don't work out so well. Could amusement rides be made safer? Yes, every day they can be made safer. The problem that we have is when we mix that with human factors. The bottom line, what happened to me, it wasn't out of the ordinary. And coming up, we'll hear stories from other people who have found themselves wondering, what if, at an amusement park or a fair? I'm Mike Rogers. This is Something Offbeat, the podcast where we look into the how and the why behind unusual headlines. This week, the story of seven people trapped on a carnival ride in Missouri for several hours. That caught our attention and it got us to wondering, just how safe are the rides at fairs and carnivals and amusement parks? Who's maintaining them? And are the rides at these theme parks really that much safer than the traveling ones set up in the local mall parking lot? Anything is susceptible to mechanical breakdown or failure. That's Ken Martin. He's a safety consultant and analyst in Virginia, specializing in amusement park ride safety. That carnival ride outside St. Louis broke down in June. Organizers insisted that county officials had inspected all of the rides earlier in the day. And yet, one still malfunctioned. But Martin says there are plenty of things that can go wrong between inspection and operation. You basically have the manuals for the ride, the the ride itself, the people who ride the rides, the people who run the rides. And all of those are an integral part of safety for any amusement ride. And the point you have to remember that they travel over the roads and they are susceptible to vibration. Uh, But of course, any amusement ride is susceptible to vibration just by the way they're made and designed. Seven people were stuck on that ride in Kirkwood, Missouri, all removed safely, although some required the help of firefighters more than 40 feet up in the air. Is there a difference in the, in the regulation and inspection process between fixed-site amusement parks and, and the traveling ones? Well, yes. Let's start with the overall picture. The overall picture, no two states regulate amusement rides the same way. They all do their own thing. And that's a problem. Martin says the lack of federal oversight can be traced to a tragedy 42 years ago at a park in Santa Clara, California. Back in the early 80s at an amusement park called Marriott's Great America in California, a young boy was killed on an amusement ride. His name was Kyle Foss. And Mr. Foss was was riding an amusement ride. He was riding it to what we know as being ridden properly. And something happened. 
whether it was mechanical or whatever, the investigation was conducted by the Consumer Product Safety Commission. And as a result of the CPSC's investigation, they fined Marriott's Great America a large sum of money for safety violations. So shortly after that case worked its way through the system, the amusement park industry went to the United States Congress and they lobbied to have fixed oversight removed from the Consumer Product Safety Commission's list of things that they do. So basically, that meant that every amusement park has no federal regulation. Now, in some cases, those states that have amusement parks do have state regulations. However, a larger percentage of them do not have state regulations. And the interesting thing there is the amusement rides in a park are the same kind of amusement rides that are in a traveling carnival, say, such as the Texas State Fair. They're the same thing. They work off the same principles. They go round and round and up and down. And, you know, they even have roller coasters now on portable carnival lots. So it's really no difference. It's just who has the most money and who has the powerful lobby. As a general rule, which states are the toughest when it comes to inspecting and regulating? Well, I think we can pretty much narrow it down to states up and down the East Coast. And of course, I'll move up to the West Coast and, and mention that Oregon and California are regulated as well as Washington State. But it was the only way they became regulated was after fighting the fixed amusement ride industry. So one of the things that came out of the thing with Marriott's Great America is we established a bona fide committee through the American Society of Testing and Materials, okay? And what they do is they publish standards for everything. For instance, the, the speakers in your headphones, your tires on your car, your concrete that you might use in your driveway, the, these all have standards. And the people who make these standards are supposedly the top experts in their particular field now, while the ride standards set in place may be comforting, most people aren't aware of the ins and outs of ride regulation. We asked some of our Odyssey colleagues about their most nerve-wracking ride experiences. The scariest experience I've ever had going up a roller coaster was probably going up the Titan. I recall just being really in my head more than anything. It was very, very psychological. It didn't really have to do with the roller coaster itself. But I remembered in that moment, the final destination movie about the roller coaster that broke down and basically landed a lot of people to their death. So definitely not the appropriate time to be thinking about it. I remember sweating and just kind of looking around and, and thinking about all the rusted parts of the roller coaster or whether they had even done enough mechanical checks and whatnot and feeling my seatbelt and just thinking about the safety of it and how old it was or just how long it'd been since it had its last maintenance. Later on, we'll hear more from riders about their experiences. Ken, most people would probably say they feel safer on a fixed ride site at an amusement park than they do on a ride that travels from place to place. Is that feeling justified? If the amusement ride is erected properly, maintained properly, operated properly, and the, the warning signs are there, I think all rides, if, if they're operated the way they're supposed to be, are safe to a point. But, you know, people are going to say there's always risk in everything you do. The issue that we have is we have people that want to ride a ride, but they might have a disqualifying factor. 
Maybe, you know, they have high blood pressure that's not controlled. Maybe they have lung disease. Maybe they have, you know, some form of heart disease or brain injury, or maybe are missing a limb or something like that. And, you know, there are certain people that will fit into that disqualification factor. And that is not to be meant that we're discriminating against people. It's just that the ride designers and owners, they built the ride. They're the ones whose name and reputation are on the line. Those rides, you just have to have standards. Not everybody can fit a ride. I mean, we've seen that this year here in the U.S. where people have been too large for rides. Obviously, in that case, the ride operator can tell someone, no, you can't get on. There are some cases where it's obvious, but if you have, let's say, a heart condition or you mentioned diabetes, it's impossible for the ride operator to tell something like that. At best, it's an honor system at best. Of course, you know, a ride operator can make some visual observations. You know, maybe somebody's dizzy or wobbly on their feet. Is that from a medical condition or maybe they were at the beer tent for too long? We don't really know. Are there certain types of rides that are just inherently a little more dangerous than others? We mentioned roller coasters. What about rides that rock you back and forth or ones that turn you upside down? Is there a certain category that you pay particular attention to? Well, yes. Any ride that takes you out of a normal sitting position or in some cases, a laying down position, there's a way you're supposed to sit. There's a way you're supposed to lay and you'd be laying on your stomach, not your back. Just like sliding down a slide, you slide down a slide feet first, not head first. So what we're doing is we are seeing every time a ride incident occurs, we're seeing different things, but we're also seeing a lot of repetitive things. For instance, the size of your restraint, that's been a problem for years, but we still haven't gotten it all worked out. The scariest experience I've had at a fair was on a ride called the Fireball when I was 12 years old. Basically, it swings 20 people in a circle left to right and also spins while it's swinging. And after it swung about four times, it stopped so you think you're about to get off the ride, but it didn't stop spinning. And it was spinning slowly, but it was enough to where it was pretty disorienting. And you could actually hear the ride operators like yelling that it wouldn't stop spinning. So obviously we're all freaked out. And this went on for like five minutes and unfortunately my stomach could not take it anymore. And I threw up, which you can expect on a ride sometimes, but this particular ride has you strapped in so much where you can't lean forward at all. And to make it all worse, we're positioned to where we're all staring at each other in a circle. So 19 other people got to see probably my most embarrassing moment ever. And then to make it even worse, the ride operator wouldn't even host me off after. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of these stories do involve, not to be indelicate about it, but yeah, throwing up. And frankly, that can happen even if the ride doesn't malfunction. I had a blind date blow chunks all over me once on a roller coaster. And no, there wasn't a second date. Data from the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission counted just under 1,300 injuries from amusement park accidents in 2019. That's the most recent year for which that data is available. That comes to about 3.7 injuries per 1 million visitors. Those are pretty good odds. You're never going to get it down to zero, though. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. I remember an old school teacher used to say there's always that 10%. And took me a few years out of high school to realize that he was talking about the 10% basically were the people who messed up and didn't do things the way they were supposed to do things. 
And I, I look at that and, you know, people, you know, hey, when I was a young teenager, I thought I was invincible too. You know, a lot of people think they're invincible, but the rules and regulations are there for a reason. And if you follow them, you're going to be fine. Given the fact that some people still don't, it sounds like you're saying that any further regulation would not be that helpful or would it? Oh, yes, it would. I'm going to give you my wish list. Okay. My wish list of regulations is that there is a, a nationwide database of every amusement ride, who owns it, where it goes, et cetera. Okay. And that information is shared with all 50 states. That is not an unreasonable request. The next thing that needs to be done is accurate record keeping. Right now, there's a system in place in the country where we have partial reporting of injuries on amusement rides. It's called the National Electronics Injury Surveillance System, and it's maintained by the Consumer Product Safety Commission. And what this does, it's a, it's a consortium of about 100 hospitals based in the United States. And statistics are taken from the emergency room records, and we know what happened, how it got there, and, and what caused it. So if somebody comes in and says, I was hurt on a merry-go-round, or I was hurt on a roller coaster, that's going to be you know, classified as, as an amusement ride. How big a difference is there in ride safety now compared to, oh, let's say, 50 years ago when you and I were kids and we'd go to the fair for a little traveling carnival? If you, could, if you could go back in time now, knowing what you know now, would you get on those rides? I sure would, because I'm going to tell you, just like you mentioned, I used to go to an amusement park with my mom and dad, and we used to ride roller coasters. My mom loved roller coasters, okay? The thing about being a kid is you got drugged wherever your mom wanted you to go. And, 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 and I love it. I'll, I'll, have, I'll cherish those memories, you know, down the road. My story probably isn't very thrilling. Uh, I've never been on a ride that's broken down and I've never been stuck on a ride for very long at least. But one time, the person who drove me to the park lost their keys at Six Flags when we were on one of those upside-down twirls of a roller coaster. And the really frightening part was to try to get my little flip phone to have reception to call someone else to get me out of there. Yeah, gravity can be a bummer sometimes. You should check out the lost and found at some of those upside-down rides. You'd be amazed at what drops out of people's pockets. And by the way, there's no shame in owning a flip phone. This is a judgment-free podcast. I'm Mike Rogers. Thanks for listening to Something Offbeat. This episode written and produced by Lauren Barry and Chris Blake with audio editing by Chris Blake, original music by Myron Kaplan, and editorial support from Cooper Mall. And to keep listening, please subscribe to us on the Odyssey app, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have your own offbeat story that you think we should cover, send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.